Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and our guest for this episode? Yes, Grant, I'd be delighted to because this is a very important conversation we're going to have today. We are talking to Chris Foley. He doesn't really need an introduction in our industry, but nevertheless, he is the Chief Executive Officer of APCO. That is the Australian Packaging Covenant Organization. And for those who may not know, APCO is the co-regulatory body that is working between government and industry to advance Australia's journey towards a circular economy for packaging. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris. Glad to have you again. Thank you, Lindy. It's my pleasure. Now, the reason I asked you to join us today is because APCO has been very busy out there engaging with um, its member community and the broader industry in the past couple of weeks. But um, we're going to talk about what you were engaging about, and we're going to talk about what the feedback was from industry. But first, to set the context, tell us a little bit about why you had to have these meetings in the first place. Thanks, Lynn. It's a really good, good starting point in that... There are probably three key things that have been happening. We obviously had the national packaging targets last year. We spoke about that at our last session, our last podcast. 500-odd members were involved in in, uh, engagement sessions around that and helping us flesh out a report to government, um, the environment ministers. And that can, that report confirmed that there were significant, um, whilst significant contributions have been made by a lot of members, there were also a lot of gaps and, and the targets, the headline was that the targets weren't going to be met, the national packaging targets, um, but there were, were system changes needed. Backing into that, we've also had a once-in-a-generational review and reset of the regulations uh, underway at the moment, and that's being led by the state, territory and federal environment ministers. That process kicked off in 2020, and that's really looking at the regulatory framework that APCO sits under and that the co-regulatory framework for the packaging system sits. Obviously, our review of the targets identified a number of system weaknesses, but also opportunities. Um, moving forward again, we've then... Um, We've also got in the sort of overarching everything else is that in the last three years, there's been a significant increase in community shareholder and global expectations around environmental performance and reporting, particularly related to packaging and issues such as plastic. So you've got convergence of a number of things, including, say, the UN uh, Global Plastics Treaty on Plastics Pollution um, and the like. So APCO is having to amend its strategy, amend its uh, capabilities and, and capacity. And we're now focused on developing a really detailed model that we think the packaging system should look like post-2025 that's able to deliver the outcomes that, that we're hearing the environment ministers are asking for. So the environment ministers um, came forward earlier in the year, and that was kind of like a breaking news moment for us, a watershed moment in the packaging industry, where they said, we are now prepared to step in and mandate and legislate. Is this something that has been one of the points that you've been discussing at these engagements? Absolutely. So so our objective here is that, and obviously we, we came out when we released the report on the national packaging targets calling for stronger regulation for a whole lot of reasons. Our challenge now is, and which was the conversation with members through the recent town hall program, 
is that um, we need a market-based solution moving forward that involves minimum regulatory intervention to get the job done. We don't want to overcook this, um, but the elements there are elements that need to be regulated and we need to ensure success for all of the above. We also need to ensure that there, there's an administrative model and an administrator, we're obviously assuming that will be APCO in some shape, that has the capabilities and the resources to do the job, the task at hand. And hence, we have a whole lot of things that we've had to take to the members um, to, to really help them understand what's happening, but also help, help us uh, expand essentially a position that we'll be taking to government to advocate for what we call sort of a post-2025 model of the system. Okay, so I think it might be helpful for the audience to also understand how many members APCO has and what is the who are these members? Sure. So we, at the moment, we've got over 2,300 members. There, if, if you're a business that is involved in packaging in Australia and you have an annual turnover of more than $5 million, you have two choices under the National Environmental Protection Measure, otherwise known as the NEPM. You can either acquit, you have environmental obligations under the NEPM, and you could go down one pathway, which would be to engage with each state environment protection authority to submit a report that tells them what your packaging footprint is and how you're managing it and how it's changing and how you're improving. Alternative, and which for many businesses is quite a cumbersome process, engaging with every, every state jurisdiction. Alternatively, you could join APCO and facilitate the same outcomes but through one process, through one entry gateway and also receive a whole lot of support through APCO's internal resources tools such as the ARL or the Australasian Recycling Label through our member services team, uh, but also through things like the Sustainable Packaging Guidelines. So these members are made up of a mix of brand owners, some are packaging converters, some are material suppliers. Have I got that right? Correct. And and the vast majority of them are actually brand, essentially brand owners, whether they be food uh, food brand owners, whether they be general merchandisers, and or they all, there's also quite a few retailers in the mix. So in terms of the representation at the, these um, town hall sessions that you ran across the country, you had four major centres involved, is that right? So we, we, we ran sessions in each of the major capital cities, excluding Hobart. Um, we engaged with, we had over 800 participants. We also had an online forum for those um, that, that weren't able to come in person. So we were quite blown away and really, really um, excited at the, the level of engagement across, across all sessions. So I think what everyone's dying to hear now is um, what did you talk about and what was the feedback? We covered, we covered five key, key issues. So the APCO board with management developed a framework for this model and then we tested five of the key um, areas with, with the, the forums. One was frameworks and funding. So that really looked at do we centralise administration, how would it be funded, what would be the transition pathway. We also looked at governance. Uh, what would be the organ? What sort of organisation would it be? Would it? What would be the composition of a board? Is it member based? Um, the reporting and review protocols and timing. We also looked at outcomes and targets. So, can we put a bit of colour on what does circular design uh, circular design mean? 
Um, what is um, what are the collection and recycling implications? What are the end markets? Um, as you get through, you can start to see that there's actually a lot of detail that sits under some simple requ requests from environment ministers. We've also had um, we also looked at compliance and enforcement. So the compliance monitoring, who would do the enforcement? Um, what would be the cost of compliance? And then finally, we looked at packaging system integrity. So what would the data requirements be of members, but also of the system and the system administrator? Um, what would the standards be? What would the um, would there be a, a code of conduct for uh, for things like ex extended producer responsible organisations and or sort of stewardship initiatives? So we covered those five key themes, um, and which which promote which provoked uh, some really good conversation and feedback. And and the feedback we got was in two forms. One was obviously anecdotal conversation in the sessions, but in addition to that, we're also using the Minty um, in the moment tool to actually have participants literally with their smartphones um, traveling the conversation and being able to score and rate and respond to survey questions. So I would imagine um, that some of the hot button topics would have been around um, how receptive they were to having, say, mandates around recycled content, for example. Yes. Yeah. So what was the response to something like that? Well, well it was, I'll actually run you through some of those keys. So we had, we had um, a, the headline from my point of view was that there was, um, we'd made some assumptions and I wasn't ever going to be so bold as to say that we were going to get it right first time, and there's some tweaking required. But uh, some highlights included that there's 85% for a single scheme administrator or a single point of reference, not dissimilar to the current arrangement. Um, there was this feedback that we don't want to be having to have it on our head to be running around the country joining all the dots. Um, underneath that central administrator, though, they acknowledge that there may need to be material-specific solutions that they have to engage with. So if you're using soft plastic, then you will need to be seeking out um, a soft plastic pathway if that's where you've got exposure. Um, the administrator, uh, there was 82% for the administrator being independent of government. Um, the thought of there being a central government agency uh, was not was not supported. Um, there was 78% um, support for governments retaining enforcement powers. So there was this sense of you could have APCO or where well, I'm using the term generically, an administrator uh, facilitating, um, helping, coaching, mentoring, and being the glue that holds a system together and monitoring for compliance. But then once a member was found to be um, subpar, off the mark, uh, ignoring three strikes and you're out, at a point, uh, the, the, the overall consensus was that those members that aren't doing the right thing should actually be escalated to either the federal government or the state governments through environment protection authorities. And it would be up to government to then do the inverted commas enforcement, uh, but the case would be developed um, and summarised and documented by the experts within um, the administrator, currently known as a co-regulator. Okay, so your develop you you presented a model of what this co-regulator, so APCO two could look like. Correct, correct. That that is, and we're calling it generically a system administrator because we don't know what frame 
the guide, and I won't go into the legislative um, jargon, but essentially we're calling it generically a system administrator. We also found that um, there was significant support for uh, the use of um, other ESG or um, uh, elements in design rules, that we need to look more broadly than just the historic waste diversion. There was a particular call out from members around greenhouse gas emissions and emissions intensity. Um, there was also 84% support for mandatory um, EPR schemes, so mandatory stewardship schemes. So in the first instance, try to find where you can design alternatives, change the materials, change the formats. Um, but then there is this concept of members just saying, well, we want those schemes to be available to us and we know that, but they have to be mandated so that it's everybody in, not just by not by voluntary arrangements. Uh, and the other piece, which was really interesting and um, and positive, there was strong support for recycled content targets. And and obviously, our challenge is how do we phase that? That then backs into some of the good work that Ian Hayes and his team are doing with APCO's. Um, material stewardship committees who are developing material roadmaps going out three and five years that actually help the system understand uh, material needs, material flows, um, the availability of reprocessing capacity and also the what, what the end markets may be. So some really rich insights there. We're now taking those insights, those feedback, that all of the feedback on board. Uh, we've already briefed um, the Federal Environment Minister's office, and they were really receptive to just hearing these moments of truth from, from membership or from the business community. Um, and we're now, we've got a, we're up to step four out of a 10-step process um, to, to take it forward. What surprised you the most about the feedback that came through? I think it was just the, the overall sense of this, this concept that we were talking about. There is this, okay, that's where it's going. There's there's a, a logical approach. The businesses um, across the board, whether they were packaging companies uh, or brand owners, um, were really receptive to the the concept of a single scheme administrator, to the concept of mandatory um, EPR schemes. Um, there was this sense of manage the free riders and the easy riders. Um, if everybody's in the hook. Um, Tell us what we're up for, be really clear, but also please support us. We can't do this on our own. Um, so there were some really interesting themes coming through quite consistently in every jurisdiction that we went to. Mm, mm. So when you and I spoke about um, this sort of in the middle of your engagement with industry, you made it very clear that uh, what APCO doesn't want to do, and that is you don't want to be the police, <laughs> you don't want to police this. Um, you would prefer that to fall in, in the ambit of, of government, but you do want to have the resources and tools at your disposal so that you can be a better systems administrator and that you can offer to the industry the support structures that they need. Correct. And, and there's a massive, uh, so mid-June, the Environment Ministers of Australia met and uh, came out with a communique that framed up a couple of really clear messages that they were looking to mandate national packaging targets and a broadened set of targets. They were also looking to mandate packaging standards and they were really looking also to make um, businesses um, responsible for their impacts. 
Um, so again, keywords, mandates, 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 which is from our point of view, that's fantastic because uh, I, I started in the role of CEO just over 12 months ago and the first thing that really hit me Obviously, prior to that, I'd been on the board, so I was aware of some of the challenges, but it is a case of moving forward. If we really want to advance um, packaging sustainability in Australia, we need everybody. We need a level playing field for all parties. We also need economy of scale, which means everybody's in. Uh, That's the only way in Australia that we're going to get traction. We then need an APCO and a central administrator to make sure that the design standards reflect international, uh, they are aligned internationally, um, that also the, uh, the, the targets really do reflect um, and are in cadence with what's available. So it may be that, that there may not be technology um, so we, and or there may not be reprocessing capacity uh, or recycling capacity. There may just not be the availability of recycled content. So... Uh, we totally respect um, the support and the backing that we're getting from the environment ministers, and we're really thrilled with that. And the dialogue we're having with government's actually really positive. It's just now a case of through this process at APCO's facilitating with membership and the broader system, um, how do we bring that to life such that at the end of the day, what I want to be able to do is in coming months really deliver to government uh, two key things. One is a final model of our advocacy position on what the system should look like, but also then a transition plan that actually helps uh, the system develop the key capabilities, obviously we're assuming through APCO, but through an administrator to deliver what that framework looks like. And it's not as, there are some quite, when you've got mandates, mandatory obligations for any business, the challenge then becomes how do you how do you monitor it, um, and not just for the individual. It, it may be do you monitor down to an SKU level? Is it at a single item level, or is it at a product category level, or is it at a whole of business level? Um, how do we do eco modulation? How do we how do we actually understand how the system's performing? Um, we know that there are a lot of fixes required we just now so that's again the role of a central administrator or co-regulator to bring those pieces together so um, obviously an important part of what you have done to date as APCO is to develop and um, I would say um, look after the Australasian recycling label to make sure that that rolls out to make sure that there's engagement from brand owners what in the new system going forward uh, does the ARL look like? That's a really good question. At the moment, the ARL is voluntary, and and obviously we've had unpre- we've had uh, uptake um, that that is world leading uptake. Um, we've gone through as soon as I arrived. We did a, a really strategic review of the Australasian recycling label. We've strengthened the governance arrangements. We're about to actually communicate a lot of what that looks like uh, to the to industry in coming weeks. And there's some really exciting changes just around transparency and giving everybody visibility of what's been done. Um, moving forward, when it's really going to be for government, do they mandate uh, and make it mandatory that the ARL is on, on pack? Uh, at the moment, I'm just assuming, listen, the system's going to need a label. Um, I think that that's going to be important. 
and let's go through understanding what is it that the government expect that label to do, but also what is it that brand owners, packaging companies, but also more importantly, what is it that the, the waste and the recycling industries, what do they also want a label to do? Um, to then work out, okay, if that's our need set and we've all aligned on what we actually need, what do we then, is that the role of the ARL? How far off is the ARL from that future state? Um, because we're, we're still, while the government's going through their review process, it's it's not not all the needs are really locked down. We're making a whole lot of assumptions. Um, so it's probably a few months away before it can be really clear. But our starting point is you've actually got a world-leading tool called the Australasian Recycling Label that's been embraced by industry. Um, I'm hoping that we could just make some modifications to that to enhance and to strengthen it. And I'm not naive that we can do more. And we just need to really bring the, the waste sector and the recycling sector into that conversation um, to use that as the starting point versus let's throw it all out and let's start fresh um, and have to go through a massive reset, which would be rather troublesome for many, many brand owners. Now, um, there are a couple of things I want to address next. I want to ask about uh, infrastructure that's currently being developed at the moment. It's underway. There's a lot of stuff going on um, out there for soft plastics, for HDPE, um, and advanced recycling in some cases. Do you think uh, that by 2025 and beyond, let's say 2025 to 2030 in that time frame, that we will develop sufficient infrastructure to have Australian products properly recycled onshore? With the changes that are coming in particular, um, there's already momentum moving. We've all, prior to uh, the, the government's final position being released, which we're not expecting, to be honest, till probably mid next year. Um, so prior to that actually becoming really clear and certain, there is investment coming. We know recently Lysella, Amcor, Mondelay have, commit, have firmed up their commitment, made it very public. Uh, in the next week, I'm visiting a couple of sites uh, with government to have a look at other initiatives that are in the pipeline, uh, and there are many others coming. So we know that compared to where we were 12 months ago, the system is is well-placed to advance. The challenge here is we need to do it as a system, the left-hand, right-hand. It's not enough just to change packaging standards. They need to be matched to the standards that are being applied to minimum standards for material recovery facilities so that the two can work symbiotic and, ev and evolve in an upwards direction to, to support circular outcomes. This is a new challenge for all of us. And again, that's why we need to really uh, more openly engage with and have these conversations with the waste and recycling sector, which we're about to kick off. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So how are you going to engage with that sector? Is it going to be in a similar format or is it a different style? We're just, and again, it's sort of this chicken and egg. I would have loved to have been having that deep conversation with the, the recyclers and the wasties three months ago, but it was we obviously needed to make sure that APCO's starting position, we had membership feedback and endorsement and support, which we've, we've, we now have, and we're, we're just making a few tweaks. Once we've finalised those amendments, we'll obviously communicate that back to the membership, but it gives me a lot of confidence to actually now reach out to, and we've already started that process, uh, reach out to a number of really key stakeholders across the waste recycling space to understand, well, who is it in your, in your world that we should be talking to and what's the most effective way? 
just putting an invitation out to come to a town hall session is not going to be enough. Um, it's got to be much more meaningful than that. One of the concerns that uh, people have when investing in the recycling facilities is that there won't be demand for takeoff of the product. Mandating recycled content will help to some extent. Do you think that government needs, to, and it's not for you, perhaps not for you to say, but do you think that government needs to push stronger on its own procurement around recycled content product? Look, I think they, they're well aware of that opportunity and they're really starting to lean into it. Uh, and so I'm starting to see some, some good smoke signals coming from government. Um, but again, if you're in the, in the packaging space, it all starts at home. What can you actually control and how can you do that? Uh, that's where mandated recycled content um, uh, levels start. And I think it's also a case of how we define uh, what's legitimate recycled content and, and what are circular outcomes. We've got to be careful that we don't cut our nose off and just be a very pure, have a very pure interpretation of circularity. It's not packaging back into packaging per se, because that won't work. Like that may work for PET in in um, beverages, but it won't work in every in every instance. So there are some definitional definitional pieces um, that need to be really aligned and, and confirmed. Uh, but again, the government's re very receptive. We're having deep conversations with them and they're really genuinely engaging a number of our forums like the Material Stewardship Committees and the Collective Action Group uh, to understand through those mechanisms what's possible, what's achievable, uh, what does great look like um, in, in, in the, in the post-2025 world. Now you said at the beginning that um, this is that you're you're in the process of a, st a ten step process. You're in the midst of that. That yes. was step three: engagement with members and and wider industry. What are the next steps? So obviously, in the first instance, we want to play back to the members what we've heard from them, show them how we've reflected it in an, an amended version. Uh, that so we'll, we're doing the editing at the moment. That will provide draft one in a broad circulation. We're then, and we've actually spoken just about this then, so we'll then be looking to really engage with the waste recycling sector to get their feedback. Uh, they are critical stakeholders. And it's things like design standards. How can we further strengthen um, and align these with, with waste and the waste and recycling sector? How can we link these with material recovery facilities? Uh, and what are the minimum standards that, that may need to exist in that space? Um, and where are the... Where, where can we agree and where, where can't we agree? Uh, again, my view is that it's, it's, we're, we're super reliant on particularly the, the recycling sector to have MRFs that can actually accept and sort and, um, and process packaging formats. So we just need to go hand in glove with, with that sector. We then need to, um, in, in, the, in the, the waste sector space, we also want to look at uh, EPR schemes or product stewardship. Um, because we need to understand, so how can we disincentivize some materials to create demand for recycled content? How do we drive the business case for collection, sorting, reprocessing? I mean, those the, those industries aren't going to just go out and collect, uh, and or uh, local councils won't write it into their contracts if there's no market for it. So we can't be as naive to just think, well, just because we say it's recyclable, it's going to be collected and reprocess that costs 
and those costs need to be recovered. Um, so the question then is, what sort of co collection systems feasible? Where would you where would you have access to it? Who who and how is the cost recovered? Um, what existing assets and systems could be leveraged or optimised more than what they currently are? So there's some really rich areas we want to engage with this, that sector on. We've then obviously got the the, cons, the the whole piece around recycled content, which I think we've just discussed. Um, because if we see massive business opportunities in this space for the waste and recycling sector to invest, um, we've just got to understand what are the key things that they're looking for in business cases. Um, step seven then is really looking at how we engage and how we socialise all of the above with territory and state governments to get their feedback. State and federal, state and territory governments are a really key part of the uh, the government apparatus, and in many respects, so to a local councils, local government. Um, the challenge with local government is that there's more than five hundred of them, um, so breaking that into something manageable is is quite quite the task. But we're working through the states for that. Um, at that point, step eight is really that we'll uh, send back to the members in the broader system sort of our draft two of having taken into account government feedback, waste and recycling sector feedback, we'll then be able to socialise a more fully formed model, document. We can then get feedback, cost up the impacts, and essentially step 10 would be uh, delivering two key documents to government, uh, one of which is the final proposed model that we'd be looking to advocate for, plus supported with a transition plan. So we're not just saying here's what we think naively the future should be. We're actually saying, here it is, but this is what we need to then make it possible. Yeah. So when do you propose that that's on a timeline? When will step 10 be reached? Step 10, where I'd love to be able to do it next week. We've obviously got a fair bit of work to go through between now and step 10. Um, we're aiming to be looking at step 10 before Christmas, and that's in an ideal world. Uh, that we've gone through all of the above. Um, it's just a case of is it is it mid-November or is it, a, is it a bit later? In an ideal world, it can't be later than that. Um, and I'm, in reality, it would be great to have this. Um, where are we? So we're mid-September, September, October. Um, so, yeah, look, we're aiming to have this over the next eight weeks to a point where we can be coming out saying here's the final position um, hoping that government, uh, although government's not going to be looking to make their formal position public until realistically probably mid, early, or well, sorry, middle of the second half of the, the financial year, possibly as late as May. Yeah. Um, but the sooner, the sooner we can be socialising this meaningfully with government, with integrity, which is why we're doing the engagement, um, the sooner that can happen, the better, because at least that way it gives government a sense of, okay, here's a roadmap forward presented by APCO on behalf of industry, taking into account the broader system's feedback and needs. Here's also their, their, um, their playbook for how it, how it would happen, what the transition plan is or should be. Well, I think that industry, from my perspective, can be very encouraged by, A, the level of transparency around this whole engagement piece that there is. Uh, they can look forward to f seeing the summation of that feedback that has come through, but also that APCO and whatever the next 
iteration of APCO is going to be, has really comprehensively and very thoroughly thought through what resources are required and how this process and plan could look and should look so that we can transition effectively to a circular economy. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining me today. If you have any last messages, now would be the time to share them. My only my two key messages. One, if you hear from the federal government uh, who are coordinating through the Department of Environment, if you hear that um, there's a survey that they're looking to fill in or there's a, a, a discussion that they've invited you to regarding packaging reform, please jump into it. Uh, similarly, uh, and equally as important, please, when, when we send out some communication around second draft or first draft, second draft and or We'd love your feedback. Please jump into it because this is quite genuinely a once-in-a-generational opportunity. So if they, if they want things to change, they need to be part of that change, I think, um, is, is the key message there. Correct. Thank you very much for joining us, Chris. I'm sure everyone will be pleased to get this update and we look forward to the next one. Thanks, Lindy. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Lindy. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.